pattern. Downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It's good to be back. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is game week. All right, Miami! One more time. All right, Miami! That's right, we have a game to talk about, and though it is game week, we aren't quite going to get to the Patriots just yet on this podcast, but we do have a busy show. We'll talk about the roster construction, update the practice squad, get you the latest Miami Dolphins news, hear from Monday's Miami Dolphins media availabilities. We'll scan the Soch, and I'll tell you a little bit about driving from quite literally the furthest possible points of the continental U.S. over the last few days. Busy show, a very, very fun show. I cannot wait to get into it. Let's do that. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Miami Dolphins. Plenty of housekeeping to get to before we dive all the way in. First, Isaiah Ford, Carl Tucker, and Benito Jones have been added back to the Miami Dolphins practice squad. And Isaiah Ford, you know about him. He's kind of the ideal practice squad guy in this new age, which was kind of spawned from the COVID era of the NFL, of the practice squad updated amount of players you can bring on your practice squad, opposed to how guys used to be street free agents this time of year, but because you can stash those veterans on the practice squad and protect four guys. Now you get to keep them in your building and within the structure of your, not just your system, but your building and the playbook and all that fun stuff. And with Isaiah, the thing you know about him is if you need him to step in and fill a role on Sunday, it doesn't matter what it is. He's going to know every alignment, assignment, the site adjustments, And in addition to that, he'll help the guy next to him get lined up too if it's needed. That's the kind of player he is, so he certainly adds value to your practice squad. Carl Tucker is back on the practice squad after having training camp here with the Miami Dolphins, and where he stands out above really anybody else on the roster is that fullback distinction. Now, you'll recall on the podcast from over the summer that he was a former receiver in high school converted to tight end in college at North Carolina and then was a grad transfer to Bama operating more as a fullback slash H-back in addition to some of the inline work he did attacked attached rather to the line of scrimmage so he does a little bit of everything but that fullback distinction you have some guys on the roster like a Durham Smythe like a Seathan Carter who can operate in that role a little bit but Carl Tucker as far as having FB in front of his name he's the only guy on the roster with that distinction Benito Jones he's a tree stump against the running game man space eater up front who can squat that that lower half and just be a guy that takes on double teams. This is a deep, deep defensive line that we talked about all summer long here on the podcast. You get caught up in the numbers game there for Benito Jones, but he is back on the practice squad. And since we haven't been with you guys since Friday, here is the practice squad. Javaris Davis kicks off our list here as the Dolphins announced the complete practice squad after the additions here on this Monday, coming to you on Monday for a Tuesday podcast. But Javaris Davis had a really good camp, good ball skills, good job staying in phase and coverage downfield. I thought he really impressed to earn his spot in this role and a possible guy that could make some noise later on in the season if he continues the ascension we saw this training camp. 
Jared Doak's back on the practice squad. Short yardage guy who had a lot of success in that Cincinnati game in those short yardage runs, but also just piling up run or yardage, I should say, in general. Also bringing some quality pass protection, at least from his time in college. Perhaps you develop that a little bit more and get even more out of a possible three down back there in Jared Doak's. Milo or Milo rather Eifler. I have some work to do on this guy. A rookie, six foot one, two hundred and twenty-eight pound linebacker from Illinois. That's all I know about him. But Milo Eifler on the practice squad. Isaiah Ford talked about him already. Shaquem Griffin, a special team standout with the Seattle Seahawks. He brings energy. He brings spirit. A good person to have in the building. And kind of like we talked about with Benito Jones, you get a heavy or deep defensive line. Well, for Shaquem Griffin's purposes both the linebacker position and the special teams most notably are very, very deep with plenty of guys that can play that core special teams role, guys that can be gunners, jammers, personal protectors, return men, whatever it might be. It's a tough group to crack and Shaquem has a chance to work his way back into that group off the Dolphins practice squad. Benito Jones talked about him already. Patrick Laird, another one of these special teams guys. I mean, they come in waves on this football team. You can just count on Patrick Laird in that area of the football game. Kirk Merritt, and we talked about him a lot on this podcast throughout the course of the summer, and I think he has a good chance to continue his development as we saw him really take a major step from year one to year two as far as training camp goes, but it's a good year as we've learned to have depth, especially at that position, and I think Kirk, if you needed to call upon him, could step in and do the job. Calvin Munson, an absolute banger, a B-gap to B-gap run defending missile, good insurance to the backup or to that linebacker room, I should say, a guy like Elandon Roberts, kind of similar playing style as far as tone setters and physical presences, but he also brings a lot to the special teams group. Like I said, this practice squad has guys that can step up and get on the special teams core units pretty much any Sunday of the season. This is a deep group for that regard. Adam Pankey, Extra offensive lineman type of roles, game plan specific. Do you want to go heavy package throughout the course of the game? Maybe you call up Panky because he did it so well last year as that sixth, seventh offensive lineman on the roster to come into goal line situations, short yardage, but also he gives you quality depth. Played some good left tackle last year in a pinch when he was called upon. Brandon Powell, same as kind of Eifler here. Some work to do on him. Don't know a lot about his game. I know he's a 5'8", 181 pound receiver who came out of Florida in 2018, a Deerfield Beach native. Durval Quieres Neto, the offensive lineman uh, from Brazil in the International Pathway Program. He has a chance now in his third season to continue his development on the offensive line with that roster or the practice squad roster exemption. We saw growth out of Durval this year and some good production in his first NFL action in actual preseason games. Jabal Sheard, going back to kind of the Isaiah Ford mention here, this is the kind of guy that you can kind of stash in the practice squad, and if you have some injuries, you need some depth to come up, Jabal Sheard can provide that for you. He can play that heavy end, a 265-plus pound guy, off that edge to kind of funnel the run game to the linebackers, situational pass rush, depth, and we talked about the depth of the defensive end slash, you know, he's a DM, but he can play so many spots. But as far as like what Ogba and Lawson did last year at defensive end, the Dolphins were, I don't want to say fortunate, but they were a little bit fortunate to have both those guys stay largely healthy throughout the course of the season. Because when you get beyond that part, those guys played so many snaps, maybe some more depth at the position this year, as the Dolphins do have, can help keep those guys fresher and of course, protect against injury. I think Jabal Sheard is in that vein, especially when you consider that he knows every bit of the scheme with the stunts and the games and the philosophy of the rush scheme and how to play the run and all that stuff. He knows what Brian Flores likes and he fits that mold. 
continuing on our practice squad review, Reed Sinnott, when we saw him in the Bengals game, some athletic ability, big strong arm, some toughness, took a big shot on the big game-winning throw. Love having this guy on your practice squad to continue to develop. You can never develop enough quarterbacks. Potentially, let's say a couple years down the road, everything goes great with Tua. Maybe this guy can be developed into your backup quarterback behind Tua down the road. You never know. It's always good to have these guys stashed here and continue that development. Keon Smith, a tackle from Fayetteville State, six foot five, two hundred ninety-five pounds, an undrafted rookie there out of Fayetteville State. Cameron Tom, we know about the anchor and the pass protection ability, knows the system, can be a good communicator on the interior of the offensive line. I am curious to see that development continue to be seen through here with Cameron Tom. And then Carl Tucker rounds out our group. We already discussed what he brings to the table. And one player not listed there is Jamal Perry, who was elevated from the practice squad up to the active roster. What an up and down week for him. Makes the roster, finds himself cut back on the practice squad, now back up. That's the nature of the NFL. Stay ready, young man. And we mentioned his ball skills throughout the course of training camp. Also love his ability to come up and tackle in some of those sub packages as well as on special team. And the reason he's up, both Adam Shaheen and Austin Jackson were added to COVID IR on Monday and coach answered questions about their potential availability on Sunday seeing saying they're preparing as if they will not have those players available and if they don't we know about the depth at the tight end position but you also know Austin Jackson has been your left tackle essentially since opening day of last season barring injuries he's been the guy out there whether at practice or at games so that could potentially open up a spot for a new player to jump into that role. And the Dolphins have some options. First, let's go ahead and hear from Brian Flores on the idea, on the mentality of that left tackle position should Austin Jackson be down on Sunday in New England. We've talked about that as a staff. Um, you know, we've got a few different options. You know, we've got multiple players who've played over on the left and, and on the right. So um, we'll work a few different combinations today and uh, see what that looks like in practice. And... Um, you know, talk about it the ne- over the next few days. There's an opportunity to get, you know, both guys back. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. So there you hear Coach mention some options at that left tackle position in the event that Austin Jackson cannot play. Uh, first, he was asked about Greg Little. I think Greg's done a nice job. I think Greg's, um, you know, worked hard to learn the offense, uh, to learn the terminology. Um, he's uh, a hardworking kid. He's, he's taken in all the information and then tried to apply it in practice um, and in games. And I think he's had some 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 bright moments the couple weeks that he's been here. And um, you know we're just going to continue to work with him and develop him. And one thing you'll see from the New England Patriots is they do have pass rushers in waves, whether it's Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, or Matt Judon, or those guys up front with Lawrence Guy or Dietrich Wise. They just have so many guys that can put pressure on the quarterback. And when I think about Greg Little as a possible option at left tackle, I think about the athletic ability to get yourself in a position where you can redirect and get to that landmark and work back inside. But also, I think one of the key elements is going to be the mental makeup of that position because like with the Dolphins, we're going to talk about here in just a minute, the Patriots can throw so many things at you in different looks and different stunts and different games and different rush packages that I think it would behoove the team to really have someone out there that can communicate and pick up all the different options you might see from that Patriots rush. And, and Greg Little has some experience in this league, so he certainly is capable in that regard. And I like the athletic ability there at that left tackle position from a Greg Little. What about a guy like Liam Eichenberg? Well, here's Coach. Liam's day-to-day. He's doing everything he can to get back out there as quickly as he can. And, 
we'll try to uh, or he'll try to, to get out there as soon as he can. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's where he's at. And if Liam can go, that's certainly going to be indicative of what the coaching staff thinks about his ability to, like we talk about, pick up all the different looks and different action the Patriots will throw at you. But then again, of course, the health is the number one thing there with your second-round draft pick and Liam Eichenberg. But as far as techniques and fundamentals and just general intelligence at the position, a guy who didn't allow a sack in his final two years there at Notre Dame, you like his options there. We'll see how he is health-wise and how the coaching staff wants to possibly fill in that gap if Austin cannot go. What about Jesse Davis? Now, with him, you have the option to either shuffle the line a little bit or keep it the same way if you want to plug in a Liam Eichenberg at right tackle if he, again, is ready to roll. But again, talking about the idea of the rookie in his first game against this Patriots team, do you change Jesse Davis's position to get Eichenberg in there? We'll see if that's not the direction they want to go, but it's one of the options this team has as so many of these guys up front have cross-trained across the offensive line. And then I put Adam Pankey in here as well as one of my other options, a possible practice squad call-up for game day. And like we talked about, his ability to get pushed in the running game is always tangible when you watch this offensive line play. So Maybe it's one of those four guys. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a shuffle. But this team, as you've heard Coach talk about in that press conference answer, they're going to have contingencies for the contingencies and self-scout their roster with confidence and make decisions based upon the ability to recognize what they have in-house. That's what they've done for three years here now in Miami. No reason to go off that path at this point. And one quick note we never got to, and it's a great lead-in to the scanning the Soch segment of the podcast. We never covered the lone waiver addition and Elijah, Elijah Campbell coming over from the Jets. He was the lone waiver wire acquisition of that period of the calendar, the NFL calendar. And that's kind of takes us into a two-part mention here of the scanning the Soch segment. And first, I want to address the general theme of this topic because, you know, and it's cut down day is the theme or the topic, I should say. And with regards to specific position additions, like cut down day is never going to be the time where you're going to solve your perceived problems on the open market. This is not free agency or the draft where you have the entire crop of the market available to you to pursue and know that, hey, that guy produced X, Y, and Z for team, you know, T last season. These are players who were cut from the other team's roster. So if you're using cut down day to plug holes, and you're kind of doing it wrong. Not to say that it won't ever happen. It does happen all the time. One man's trash can be another man's treasure, right? Shoot, look at Savon Ahmed last year. But that's why you acquire talent. Savon didn't even play until about midseason, and it wasn't a move that Dolphins fans pointed to and unanimously looked at and said, there, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's our answer to the running back room. We're talking about the 54th, 55th, sometimes the 56th player on other teams' rosters. So just doing the math, well, 53, let's see, 53 times 32, that's uh, 1,696 players that those guys are considered behind, quote-unquote. 1,700 players on NFL rosters, and then you get to this crop. So again, I'm not saying waivers is impossible to find significant solutions. You can do that. But to expect your team to go and just pick up players and fix any of the perceived problems you might have in that portion of the calendar, that's just not realistic. And the reason I wanted to get to this was because the Dolphins, obviously, 
they add a defensive back. And my reaction to that is, well, the way these coaches have proven to develop talent, and specifically at that position, I don't know. I take the trust them route when it comes to that. So continuing this on here, the Dolphins have, if you count Will Fuller, who doesn't count against the roster in week one, but if you count his presence on the football team, the Dolphins currently have 12 receivers and 12 defensive backs in tow. Now, again, they're going to have to make a move to get Fuller back on the roster. So 11 receivers and tight ends on the roster, 12 if you count Will Fuller. And then also 12 defensive backs, or actually it's 13 defensive backs now with Jamal Perry in tow back on the roster. So 12 receivers slash tight ends, again, counting Will Fuller, and 13 defensive backs. And it brought to mind to me the comment Coach Flores made when I asked him about Javon Holland back after the draft and the idea of adding playmakers and never having enough defensive backs on your roster. Here's what Coach had to say about that question. Um, I mean, it's a passing league. I think we all know that. Um, so you, you need to be able to defend the pass. You got to defend the run also. But um, if you just look at the percentages um, and strictly the numbers, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a passing league. So I think, you know, in my, in my opinion, and, you know, Chris and I have had, you know, many discussions about this. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we want to be able to obviously defend the deep part of the field, um, limit explosive plays in order to do that. Um, and the guys who were back there are the, and the defensive back. So um, I think Chris, you know, he's, he, he puts a lot of emphasis on, on, on that um, with, with the scouts. Um, and and we, we, we talk about, you know, the, the back end constantly. Uh, we feel like it's important. We feel like all of it's important. I, I never, I hate to kind of talk about one thing because you know, everything, every position, every, you know, from the nose tackle to the three technique to the linebackers, it's all kind of plays as one. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I learned this a long time. There's nothing the nose cap tackle can do about, you know, a 50 yard ball. So, um, you know, we, 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 you know, we put an emphasis on that. And, and uh, the next thing we got to do is get them coached up. And, and, you know, it's one thing to add players and then it's another thing to, to, to get them coached up and get them all on the same page so that we can try to you know defend these offenses that are, are very good in this league. Plenty of very good offenses in this league. And I recall hearing another callback on, I forget what show it was, so I, I apologize for that, but the callback to the Nick Saban idea when he kind of adapted his philosophy from you know, beating LSU 10 to seven for all those years and saying like, if you don't score 30 points in today's college football, you're not going to have a chance to win. So kind of reinventing himself and going after more of an offensive heavy type of attack. And that's kind of what the NFL has seen over the last couple of years as points continue to climb up. You have to find ways to stop those guys. And so to the offensive point about 11 receivers and tight ends, 12 with Fuller compared to, you know, three running backs on the roster. And the idea of getting spacing, the ability to go more vertical, to go matchup base and really have that fleet of basketball type players that can match up with the type of defensive backs the opposition has. And what about the ability to influence the run game with things other than the actual run game? I wanted to go back to this as far as the roster construction goes. Here's Coach Flores once again back on May the 1st talking about how to influence the running defense of the opposition with things more than just your own running game. I think it does a lot. I mean, I think if you got, you know, guys who can run on the perimeter, um, if you load the box, you know, there's more opportunity for one-on-one uh, -on -one matchups and um, uh, opportunities downfield. Uh, so, 
you know, defenses have to make that that decision when you have those types of players on the field. Um, and again, if you don't load the box and you, know, you, you play for those big plays and there's less people in the box and uh, less people to block and you know, I think it's it really becomes kind of a numbers math game. You get those guys blocked, there's more space to run. So, uh, there, there, I mean, there's a lot to this. And as you guys know, I mean, you guys watch, have seen a lot of football and understand the game. So, um, you know, when you have guys on the perimeter and guys who who, who you know de- demand uh, some attention, that kind of attention, um, then you know there, there could be more space, and there, there may not be. And if, if that's the case, then we got to take advantage of of those matchups on the perimeter. So, I mean, it's a, it's a chess game, as you, as you all know, and um, obviously the run the run game and how how you attack the run game that's 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 part of it. I still find that to be one of the more insightful answers we've heard from Coach. I've gone back to it a few times here on the podcast, so appreciate you sticking with me on that. But I think it illustrates a point as, you know, that first clip with the question with regards to Javon Holland that I posed to Coach back on May the 1st, and he referenced that it's a passing league, as you heard, but that's both offensive and defensive. So what did we see with this team last year from a defensive perspective or just kind of generally? Multiplicity, guys that can do multiple things and have different schemes and roles you can execute versatility within those players to make the scheme multiple rush games with stunts and twists and slants and bringing blitzers off the edge down the pipe whatever it might be creative ways to kind of unload the kitchen sink as coach Flores talked about with Matt Ryan back when the Falcons were here for joint practices back in August blitzing we have a top five blitzing rate in 2020 will that continue this year and just real quick You can blitz teams that can be effective, as we saw throughout the course of the season, but I wanted to pull up these two quarterbacks as, I think, the two best quarterbacks in the league for last season, at least, in Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and I went up to their pro football focus page, and when blitzed, here's Mahomes' numbers, 68.6 completion percentage for 1,336 yards, that's 8.7 yards per attempt, which is more, more than, or a yard better than when he was not blitzed, 18 touchdown passes, two picks and he threw 24 touchdowns and six picks when he was not blitzed what about Josh Allen 65.8 percent completion rate 1,995 yards for an average of 7.6 yards per pass 20 touchdowns compared to two picks how about when he wasn't blitzed 22 touchdowns nine picks so seven man coverage generates more picks for the defense against those two guys at least last season and I think that's a very intriguing thing to look at but Back to my list here as far as, you know, the blitzing games and running rush games and, and multiplicity and versatility. The last thing on my list is the ability to get into sub packages, and that kind of coincides with those blitz numbers. Different roles. I mean, some days we might need to call upon four linebackers for 25-plus snaps in a game for each of those four linebackers. In fact, you know what? Coach addressed this. And we played the audio for you on the podcast last week. Sometimes it's three linebackers, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's zero, he said. And sometimes you need six defensive backs for 20-plus snaps each game. Maybe you want to defend Mahomes or Allen or whoever the quarterback might be that you want to play more coverage against. Each opponent is a different puzzle to solve. And the more moves you're given at the proverbial rubrics cube, I guess, like if you have 10 moves compared to 20 moves, don't you want the 20? That's better, right? And that's where this added depth to me really comes into play. And real quick, it's always a kudos to say this about a coaching staff, but the courage and conviction it takes to be adaptable week to week. Like if you beat someone convincingly on Sunday, 
to go away from that plan the following week and take a new approach against a new opponent, I don't care who you are, that takes courage. But with that depth, consider how you felt when a few of the guys were cut last week. Like, you were mad at a few of those, right? That's because this team has improved its depth into a position where you have to make tough decisions. And Coach mentioned it last week. It was going to be a challenging decision day, but that's what they're paid for, right? Making the tough decisions, and they feel they've made those decisions uh, going forward here. So, you know, you could have, going into the offseason, you could have rested on what produced some nice numbers last year. And Bobby McCain, Kyle Van Noy, and Shaq Lawson, all three of those guys gave you valuable snaps and production, but this league is about constant evaluation and pursuing improvement always, always assessing. Don't rest on your laurels. And with this defense, you want those added DBs because number one, you could wind up playing a ton of sub on any given week. For instance, the Buffalo Bills, go back to Josh Allen. They were a very unique team in the NFL last year, for instance, in that they ran 10 personnel, which is one running back, no tight ends, and four receivers. It's going to challenge your defensive back depth, right? They ran that package at a clip far greater than anybody else. Even the Arizona Cardinals, who kind of run that new age spread scheme with Cliff Kingsbury, they didn't run their 10 personnel package anywhere near as much as the Buffalo Bills. So do you want to keep all your linebackers on the field when they're in that four wide package? Not likely. And then number two, this team is about versatility, right? What position shows more versatility then the defensive backs, inside-outside guys like a Nick Needham who learned that role last year inside and did it brilliantly. Noah Igbenogany has cross-trained. Justin Coleman has played both throughout a decorated career so far. Your safety corner hybrid types. Brandon Jones, Eric Rowe, and Javon Holland have all played either slot or inside at one point in their career. Now they're on that kind of safety track where the S is in front of their name at their position group. Slot, outside, safety. They can do a little bit of everything. Then you've added a guy like Jason McCourty. And I love McCourty for the sake that if we get like an in-game injury again, like last year, a couple times, you would feel good about plugging Jason McCourty into a flexible role to protect against what happened, for instance, when Bobby McCain went down in that Chiefs game and Tyreek Hill scores two touchdowns on the handful of snaps where McCain's off the field. I love that McCourty can literally slot in any position to me at this stage of his career on top of being a capable of starting and producing on top of that. I think his real value might be as kind of your utility player, for lack of a better term. And to keep the baseball reference going, you can start him, you know, like five of your six games during the week, baseball, one game a week here, obviously, at five different positions to give guys days off, to give guys, you know, a struggling batter a day off, whatever it might be. That is such a valuable addition to this team among many reasons, but I think that one is my favorite for Jason McCourty. And as I say this, you know, about the DBs being the most versatile, I mean, just look up front as well. Coverage and the pass rush work together, right? Now, in most systems, coverage dictates the front, but you can't have one without the other, as we heard Coach talk about in that previous soundbite. So when you get into those sub packages and try to craft game plans specific to your opponent, let's say you want to heat up the quarterback. I mean, how good is Sam Aguavin at blitzing? pretty damn good. But let's say you want to play more coverage. We mentioned Mahomes and Allen earlier. Those are tough quarterbacks, but they aren't the only ones you'll have to game plan for this year. You can get to your primarily sub defenses and maybe play more coverage after listing those stats against the blitz I showed you earlier. At this stage, you can find ways to get more pressure with four. And I think that's why the Phillips addition could wind up being so important. A guy that can hopefully develop into a guy that beats one-on-one pass rush situations frequently. But let's look at the schedule here for the Miami Dolphins and how 
that could look different against different teams. We mentioned the Buffalo Bills, 10 personnel package, a quarterback that can mitigate pressure when you get home. And once he does that and you're forced to try to plaster on the back end with four on four or maybe five on five, boy, that's a tough ask for Josh Allen. I mean, look at the first couple of series in the season finale last year, lots of dropping seven and it got to him. You shut the Bills down for those first three possessions and got a pick early in that game. Now he adjusted, of course, and responded later. And damn it, if you would have secured those two picks in the September game, Van Noy and X had chances at picks. It, with the same idea of playing coverage, that would have changed that game for my money and possibly the result of that game, an 11th win on the schedule. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes, but he's not on the schedule. How about the Patriots? Talk about changing it up here. They're as flexible as they come, and that's what makes them tough because 12 personnel package with with uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, the two new tight ends they bring in, and a heavy dose of a a running back like Damian Harris behind that beefy offensive line that's so good. We saw it in week one last year. We almost never saw our fifth defensive back because they loaded up with backs and tight ends and extra offensive linemen. They ran so many six offensive linemen packages that Miami, you know, in that instance, you're going to have to be able to load up with a Baker, with an Alandon Roberts, with a Brandon Scarlett, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of similar going up against a team we're going to see later on this year, like the Tennessee Titans. Last year for them, it was plenty of 12 personnel, and we'll see who fills that role that kind of Anthony Ferkser played last year as the number two tight end in all those two tight end packages because now John O. Smith has gone to New England, but you just have to load up the box against that team because of Derrick Henry's presence. You cannot get a hat on a hat and beat Derrick Henry with a safety coming down to meet him in the gap. Not going to happen. Then you've got, you know, X and Byron ideally to match up with the two elite receivers they have in a Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. It changes every week. What about the Baltimore Ravens? This might be a team you have to uncork some of that, maybe big nickel or, you know, more safety-heavy packages in that they can cover and give you more size inside against that tough run game. And by the way, literally just saw this come across the desk. Justice Hill for the Ravens tore his Achilles today. Man, they're getting killed by injuries, but if anyone can overcome it, it's Harbaugh, DaCosta, and that team. But yeah, that's the thing. You need to be flexible, and I look at this Dolphins team, and they are more adaptable on paper than the previous two Flores teams in 2019 and 2022. I like that. Different game plans for different teams. That is the idea. Quick hot change here on the podcast. I put this down in my notes. I forgot about it. We're going to go back to it. Roster construction, how the Dolphins, 53 men on their roster, entered the NFL. First round draft picks, eight of them. Second round draft picks, 10 of them. Third round draft picks, seven. Fourth rounders, two. Fifth rounders, one. Sixth rounders, there's three of them. Seventh rounders, there's three more of them. And the Dolphins have 15 undrafted players. So eight in the first round, 15 undrafted. That's how this league goes, baby. That's why you continue to turn the bottom of the roster, develop guys, and find those hits because undrafted players make up the majority of the league. All right, let's go ahead and finish up here with some media that I found interesting from Monday. And we'll start here with Brian Flores talking about Miles Gaskin. And I loved Coach's answer here when he was asked if any one thing jumps out about what Miles really improved in the course of this offseason. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is protection. Um, I think he's, he's really uh, worked hard at that um, and made that a, a, a part of his game where, um, you know, it's, he's not a guy that we got to take out in those situations. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then, you know, just – his uh his professionalism i mean this is a this is a guy who's uh you know in early out late doing extras you know whether it's jugs whether it's uh, running routes whether it's um you know film study and 
know, all the work that he puts in, uh, again, all the preparation that he, he, he uh, goes through, um, gives him an opportunity to have, you know, some success, you know, on the practice field and then um, I mean, hopefully in game. So um, he's done a nice job. So we saw Miles play 65% or more of the snaps in any given game last year in games in which he was healthy. Well, that's kind of how you do it. You'll be a three down back that can catch the football and pass protect. Take another step in that pass protection arena. Man, you have to like Miles Gaskin's prospects heading into the season. And, you know, I love this from the reporters here in South Florida on the beat asking Miles Gaskin first off the top a question about that answer that Coach Flores gave regarding his improvement with pass protection. Here's Miles on how he was able to do that this offseason. Just making it an emphasis for myself, um, being a smaller guy, obviously. Um, you're in the league now, um, so just those guys are 260, 250, so you got to bring everything you got each play. And uh, I think I just, just kind of dove into it. Coach E uh, and all the other running backs, we're always trying to help each other. So I think that's kind of brought me along, obviously, when I was younger and now. Being able to help uh, the younger guys, Savon, obviously, Jared, um, just kind of seeing it, just seeing it over and over again and seeing what I'm good at and kind of honing in on those skills. I'm not going to run the audio here, but I thought that Jerome Baker, as we kind of change gears here, was forthright in his media on Monday. He was asked a lot about Mac Jones and preparing for him compared to what Cam Newton might have been, who, of course, was released last week. And... You know, he acknowledged that Cam is more of a running threat, but I love that he also acknowledged that Jones isn't a typical rookie in the sense that you can expect rookie mistakes from those guys because he's a smart player. Called him a Patriots guy, which very much seems to be the case. And I bring this up because I heard an interesting point. I'm 95% sure it was Chris Sims. And this was something that kind of refuted a point that I thought that I had, and I liked hearing the perspective from a guy that played in the league, that the Pats made the declaration when they did so so that there's no surprises come game day. That's like, that was my perspective, right? Good, we don't have to prepare for two quarterbacks. But Chris Sims told a great story about how one time when the Patriots lost Tom Brady back in 08, they brought him in for a possible workout. And then after he got into the building, they said, hey, Chris, we're really sorry about this, man, but we're going to go with Matt Castle because we don't want the possible distraction or the possible like questions for Matt Castle or for Coach Every Day. Who's going to be your quarterback? I thought that was very intriguing and definitely a certain advantage for the team that announces their quarterback ahead of time to you know not get the advantage of preparing for two quarterbacks but it also has an inherent advantage for the team that does it as well I thought that was very interesting had not heard that perspective before but Chris Sims provided that for us and the Patriots of course who knows if that's the case but I thought it was very interesting to hear that as they have just made that decision here recently to go with one quarterback over the other and I do however want to play this audio from Jerome on the best way to make things difficult on a rookie quarterback. I mean, with any quarterback, it's, it's like anything you play, basketball, football, whatever it is, uh, you try to throw as many looks as you can. Um, you know, with football, it's a, a little different. Uh, it's a little harder, but, you know, you just try to confuse guys and uh, execute well, line up different, um, and really just play that cat and mouse game. You really don't know what we're doing. The same, you know, same point. Offense, they do the same thing. We don't know what they're doing. They try to line up a guy differently, bring him back in, bring him back out. You know, try to go fast, get us out of personnel. Uh, it's the game of football that we all know and love. So um, I'm sure we're going to do a little bit of that, and they're going to do a little bit of it. So at the end of the day, we just got to come in there, execute, follow our rules, and um, play together. So let's go ahead and change now from Jerome Baker to Jason McCourty, who on that approach defending a rookie quarterback, and this was after he was asked about any possible trash talk with he and his brother Devin McCourty. And I've mentioned his leadership and a role 
on the team as a conduit for the coaching staff onto the field to help, help convey the message. And he said he's just focused on one play at a time, which, again, is right in line with that messaging. And I loved how he said the trash talking is for the McCourty children, his and Devin's kids going back and forth. Absolutely perfect answer. But he also talked about going against a rookie quarterback, making his debut. Here's Jason McCourty. I think for the most part, whenever you're preparing for an opponent, you, you don't really want to look at their experience. You kind of want to watch the film and see uh, what they're telling you on film. And as we've gotten a chance to watch Matt uh, throughout the preseason, I mean, he's doing a lot of good things for them. And uh, just the, the way the subtle things he does, the way he moves the defense, uh, when he's looking off, uh, getting them into the right play at the line of scrimmage. So uh, I won't say in regards to a rookie quarterback, this or that. I just think uh, we have a tough opponent coming in, obviously a division opponent we're going to visit for week one. Uh, with Mac Jones there, it's going to be a, a tough game. And you can see some of the things early on in his career that he's able to do that uh, puts him in, in a good place on offense. So we're going to have to really go out there and execute well. Gosh, hearing the guys break down matchups, it's here, baby. Football season is officially here. And I told you guys a lie because I'm recording this podcast on a Monday evening, and I said I wasn't going fi- to I was going to finish on that last segment. But we have to get to my 44-hour drive across the country. And you know what? Long-distance driving isn't as bad as it used to be, and the lone reason for that is podcast. Now, I brought my Bose player because U-Haul trucks do not have the adaptable plugins to put your phone or your music or whatever you have on your phone into the speakers. So I brought this Bose player, this portable speaker I have. I forgot the charger, but my buddy who drove with me, and he knocked out 20 of the, or rather 18 of the 43 hours, Again, lied about the time there. I drove 25 hours. He drove 18. Four days total, nine hours, 11 hours, 11 hours, and 13 hours to make that trip across the country. But back to the Bose situation, he brought a charger that plugged into the 12-volt, so we had the Bose the entire time and knocked out uh, probably 20 podcasts. It was a good time hanging out with a longtime friend, a high school buddy, making that drive. And again, the the drive log there with uh, five, six different stints, a four-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive, four hours, 2.5, 3.5, 3.5, and then my five-hour drive home from Lake City, Florida to Miramar. And, you know, it was a crazy event. Uh, I got to see the, the Kansas City Royal Stadium right off the highway there. That was really cool to see. The Tennessee Titan Stadium as well right off the highway. The Red Rocks in Utah. The absolute beauty that was the Wyoming countryside. The Tennessee Mountains. My goodness, how beautiful is the state of Tennessee. And then Florida was kind of the least scenic of the entire drive, if I'm being honest. Now, granted, it was dark late night on uh, Sunday night coming home, but there are no lights along the turnpike there. But yeah, it's basically just the road. And the biggest snag was the fact that we had a blown tire in Wyoming on day number two. Blew a tire, had to call a tire company that was luckily just eight miles down the road. How lucky was that? But we spent two hours outside the truck just trying to entertain ourselves. I thought this was the best part of the trip because... We invented two games. It was like throwing this milk bottle off the top of the U-Haul truck, and you had to catch it before it hit the ground. I know it sounds stupid, but it just became something we did because we were bored and didn't stick on our phones and just, you know, be introverts that way. Then we had a game where we flipped this coffee cup into the cup holder inside the truck. Like, stupid little things, man. It was fun to fun to kind of reenact my childhood creativity. Like when I was in middle school, my friends and I would go into my parents' garage and just pick random things and use those items to create games. One of those was we did a um, like curling game with a bike tire and ski poles where you had to whack the tire and sprint down the road and just keep that thing rolling. Sounds stupid. Was a lot of fun. We also had a game where we taped a garbage can to a batting helmet and then had to take 
this stick with an attached net to the end of it and throw a hacky sack into the cup or into the can rather with the guy having it on his head. It's just, to me, it was nice to know that childish creativity is still in there when you have to unearth it. But a lot of fun on the drive, some really boring moments as well, but plenty of good hotels, some good coffee, and just, uh, you know, saying what's up to the other U-Hauls on the road, a good time. And I think best of all was the fact that for four days, I was kind of able to disconnect from my phone. I, I highly recommend doing that if you haven't done so lately. Get off social media for a little bit. It can be a lot of fun. Lastly, Washington State goes down to Utah State. Boo. The Huskies lose to Montana. <laughs> That's pretty good. But that's the end of my weekend. Fun drive. Ask me any questions you want about it on Twitter. We have a busy week coming up for you guys here, including game preview on Thursday and the Friday kind of hodgepodge podcast with a mailbag. So put some questions on the reviews for us if you have not done so already. A five-star rating and a question. We're going to read that on the podcast for you. I'll also put the call out on Twitter for your questions on Thursday for the mailbag. As for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure. Hey, Caroline, daddy's coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, 